Of all the guests that I've had on the Behind the Shot podcast, today's guest is rather unique. It's a cinematographer that was responsible for shooting the first ever IMAX film that was nominated for an Academy Award. He's got 32 credits in IMDb, and he's taught over 150 astronauts and cosmonauts how to use IMAX film in space. Today, it's photographing the Palouse through a cinematographer's eye on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hi again, welcome to another episode of Behind the Shot. I'm your host, Steve Brazel. This is the podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all the challenges and issues and problems and stories that happen in between. And today I've got somebody on that I have to say is kind of out of the realm of, of who I would normally even be in a room with, let alone talk to. Because my guest today is let's put it this way let's put it this way my guest today is listed in imdb 32 times all right this is a guy who has taught astronauts how to shoot imax in space i'm not in his realm but i do want to welcome him to the show james how are you i'm doing great steve uh thanks for having me it's a real pleasure to uh to be able to talk to you today yeah it's actually a pleasure to be able to talk to you and i and i will say it's an honor to be able to talk to you james james nyehouse is you're florida based right i I am in central florida okay you're you're florida based and you're a photographer which is kind of why you're here on, on this show but wow are you much more than a photographer you're a photographer and a cinematographer so I don't want to try and wrap up your career, right? (laughs) Me doing a helicopter view of your career, I guarantee it would be like an Academy Award speech where you list 10 people, but the 11th person was the only one watching and you didn't mention them. Um, I'm going to screw it up somehow. So give us the helicopter view of of who you are and, and what you do. Okay, well, uh, the heli- I've shot a lot of helicopter shots, so uh, this should be fairly straightforward. Um, I started out taking still pictures when I was a kid. I really don't remember when I didn't have a camera. Uh, went the, the usual route of like the uh, high school yearbook, shot pictures for that, uh, which was great because I had all the cheerleaders in my, eating out of the palm of my hand, which was great. Exactly. <laughs> Something all of us wanted, yeah. That's right, right. Um uh, and then went on to uh, Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara uh, right after I graduated from high school, was going to learn still photography, got into industrial scientific uh, color technology. You know, and you, you, since you mentioned Brooks, I apologize. Let me interrupt uh, you on something because yeah. I'm, I'm curious since you're a Brooks graduate. Yep. The loss of Brooks. I, I, I did not go to Brooks. I know a lot of people who have, and I've had a number of Brooks graduates on the show. But it really is a huge loss to the photo community, right? It, it, it is a real great loss to the photo community. It was uh, active for 70 years, had some of the great photographers come through that place. Um, it's a shame that it, it just they just couldn't survive in this, this day and age. And uh, uh, it was real sad to see that, that last day go. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I apologize interrupting you. Continue. Oh, that's no problem. Uh, Anyway, after Brooks, I had I had gotten into underwater photography at Brooks, and uh, that got me a job in a production company in Santa Barbara that specialized in underwater. And about two months after I graduated, uh, 
this guy named Graham Ferguson, who was the uh, uh, CEO and uh, founder of IMAX, came with this cam big camera and wanted to shoot underwater. They'd never shot underwater. And uh, so we kind of helped them put a program together to make a film. Uh, he wanted to learn how to dive. I was a dive instructor, taught him how to dive. Uh, they took me along to keep him alive when he went in the water and to be shark bait. I hope you succeeded. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I succeeded because it was Graham that eventually got me into the space program with IMAX. And uh, that's, that's kind of, I've kind of specialized in space, but I've done other things. I've done, uh, you know, Michael Jordan. We did a film about Michael Jordan. I've done chimpanzees and polar bears and the Rolling Stones and all sorts of, that's kind of up your alley, the Rolling Stones, I guess. Well, so. <laughs> and, and that's in my notes. And here's the reason it's in my notes. Okay. And, and let me just say, you do have 32 cinematographer credits in IMDb, over a thousand different film and video projects. And on the Rolling Stones things, you documented the, uh, the Steel Wheels tour. Mm-hmm. Well, during the Steel Wheels tour, to my knowledge, there was only I've been in radio for 40 years. There was only one main interview that the band did radio interview that the band did, and it was put out on a six CD set. And I have that six CD set. Oh, wow. That's very cool. That's yeah, very it's cool. one of my pride and joys, actually, is that set. <laughs> so let's go back to the IMAX because mm-hmm. this is fascinating to me. The first ever I mean, I'm assuming all the viewers have. <clears throat> if not seen an IMAX film, heard of IMAX. Right. Right. Huge, large format film surrounds you, that type of thing. The first movie, the first IMAX movie nominated for Academy Award, for an Academy Award, was done by director uh, uh, George Casey. And it was on, which I remember, I'm old enough to remember this, the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 19... 1980. 80? 1980, okay. yep. And you were on that. I shot it. Yep. <laughs> you shot the first ever IMAX movie that's, nominated for an Academy Award. Now, that's correct. Now, most people at that point would go, well, you know, shoot, I can die now. <laughs> you kept going and you now have you, you mentioned the space program. Mm-hmm. People, here's a guy who has taught astronauts and cosmonauts how to shoot IMAX film in space. This is right. Am I right? Do you ever do you ever look in the mirror and go, wow, that's me. That's well, it, you know, after about 30 years, the, the image looking back in the mirror, you know, it, it's like, OK, <laughs> I can see that you've been at it 30 years. It's uh, it's still special, but uh, uh, a little of the new is worn off finally. Uh, but I still get chills when I think about the fact that I've worked with some of the greatest astronauts, you know, made some really great movies with them and. Uh, uh, it's fun. I mean, uh, one of my students is launching, I guess, next week uh, to go and live on space station for six months. So, uh, I, you know, they're still going. Yeah, that's that's special. And, and I, I may misunderstand what this award is, but the way I interpreted how, when I researched this award, you got something called the Silver Snoopy Award. That's the astronaut's personal award for professional excellence. Am I right in assuming that's the astronauts choosing who to give it to, not the space program as a whole? Right. That's the, the astronauts individually uh, uh, will give out this award. It's, it's given to less than 1% of the people of, that are eligible to get it. And you got uh, it. And I, yep, I, I got one. Uh, I, it was really pretty special because it's right after the very first uh, space station crew returned from orbit and we were watching their film in an IMAX theater. And uh, after, the, after the film was over, they said, we got something for you. So they 
pulled me down the front of the theater and and uh, presented me with a Snoopy, and I uh, cried like a baby. And <laughs> uh, but it was pretty pretty cool because about uh, usually only one astronaut signs the letter, and my letter was signed, I think, by seven or eight different astronauts, uh, including the first. Uh, crew aboard the space station so that was kind of that's cool. i mean wow <laughs> right i mean just wow yeah. and on top of all of this pedigree that you have as a stills photographer and a videographer i see a banjo behind you <laughs> oh i forgot to put that up <laughs> no I, I need to i need to get you with rick salmon who's a phenomenal <laughs> guitarist and have you guys play something on the show sometime. Oh, that, yeah, that would, would be absolutely hilarious. That would be, it would be hilarious. <laughs> that's for sure. For so, my part. <laughs> let's get into your photograph here a little bit. When you shoot stills, you shoot a number of different things. And when you and I were first going back and forth, kind of picking an image, right? I, I mm -hmm. like to try and have my guests suggest images that they, they want to talk about. And, but there was one on your site. <clears throat> Of the space uh, launch, of a rocket launch or a space shuttle oh, yeah. launch. Mm -hmm. That was so awesome, but it didn't really fit a video format the way it was. It just wasn't going to really right, fit, right, but right. it is in the gallery. Yeah. And then as yeah. I'm looking through the rest of your site going, wow, this guy does all this space stuff. And suddenly I ran across a shot from the Palouse. And I have heard from so many friends of mine and well-known photographers that do workshops to, to the Palouse area, what a beautiful area it is and photographing it. And then I saw the shot we're about to bring up and thought, okay, that now I get it. Right. And it's the reason it's interesting to me is because I believe I see stuff in this shot and maybe it's just because I know your history. Right. But I believe I see stuff in this shot that is that a normal, great, even landscape photographer would not have done there's there is a cinematography look and feel right. Right. A, a motion look and feel to this shot so we'll bring it up in a second in fact let's just bring it up right now the palouse explain yep. to me the palouse the palouse is is a very it's a beautiful area of southeastern washington state uh and it's mostly just farm fields uh wheat uh barley Granola, canola, granola. <laughs> it's all part Could of it. Could be both, granola. yeah. <laughs> they don't There's, grow and, granola. And do they still have the wrappers on them as they grow? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, canola, which is the, the beautiful yellow flowering plants. Uh, but it just goes on, and it's rolling hills uh, that just that catch the sunlight a certain way at, at, at dawn and at uh, dusk. And uh, it's just an amazing place. Uh, uh, there's a spot called Steptoe Butte. You can get some elevation. It's about... I don't know, about 1,500 feet above the... Above is the, that where uh, you are in this? That's where we were from this shot. Uh, is uh, You've got a 360 panoramic view of the entire uh, area uh, from Steptoe. So you can drive around this 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 butte and uh, uh, pick different locations, different foreground, different uh, subjects. Uh, the, this is the Whitman County Grain Elevator, uh, the Grower's Grain Elevator. Uh, that's in the little town of, of uh, Steptoe, which is about three and a half miles away from where, uh, from the Butte. So that little grain elevator is quite a distance away. And wait, wait a minute. That is three and a half miles from you? Three, 3.27. I just, I did a, a 
Google Earth on it and measure okay, it so out. Okay, that, so that, that's interesting to me because let let's let me throw out the EXIF data, yeah. assuming that, yeah. that what yeah. I got out of the picture is correct. And if it's yeah. not, you know, slap me. So what was in the EXIF data in this shot is, A, it was shot in late June, June 27th. Yep. Uh, and it was shot kind of late. It, mm-hmm. it showed mm-hmm. as 9.30 or 9.23 p.m. That's probably not correct. I never pay attention to the time on my camera. <laughs> okay. So that's probably what it is, the camera recorder. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But the exposure shows is one three twentieth of a second. Mm-hmm. At what, what time would this have been? Uh, it was probably, let's see, that was June. So sunset was Morning probably Morning or around, dusk? Uh, it was evening. <clears throat> okay. Evening. So, so sunsetish. Uh, sunsetish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So three twentieth of a second. Yep. F11. Yep. I've got questions on that coming up, actually. Okay. ISO 400. Yep. And it's 420 millimeters, but it's not. So you're shooting with a Canon EOS 5DSR, which is super high resolution, which Mm -hmm. explains the extreme detail that you got in this shot, Mm -hmm. because that camera is amazing. But you shot it with the 300 Mark II 2.8 lens, the the Canon EF 300 2.8 Mark II. Uh, Yes. That may not be correct. It showed in the EXIF is that with a 1.4 tele. Okay. Okay. That, That could be correct then. Okay. Yeah, because I had I had that and I had a one one hundred to four hundred. So some so it could be, but but that's the area, and that's yeah. why the th- the 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 distance is interesting to me. It doesn't right. seem like you'd get that close on this or that much detail on this from that yeah. far away with a three hundred or a four hundred lens. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I it's a combination of the the atmospherics. Uh, you know, it was the weather was clear enough that you're going to get the extra detail. Uh, the five DSR has the, uh, uh, you know, is, is, uh, got the low pass filter, uh, sort of defeated. So that adds some sharpness to it. It does Uh, by default, by default. That's what the R is, uh, in the camera designation. Oh, as opposed to the five DS. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're popping a little more detail and sharpness in it. A little more detail and sharpness. I think it overdoes it a bit, uh, uh, in some cases, uh, uh, but I was looking at the file before we started and, you can you can almost make out individual uh, tree leaves uh, at you know next to the granary there, which is like I said, three miles away. I I zoomed in on this. You sent me a, only yeah. a two thousand pixel file on yeah. this. I zoomed in on that grain house. Yeah, you can read oh, yeah. the text on that grain house. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It is shockingly. Sh- I mean, it is shockingly sharp. <laughs> so the Palouses an area, like I say, you do workshops there. Yeah. Yeah. So people, if you want to, we'll talk about the workshops at the end, but if you're looking to do a workshop with somebody and get a really unique workshop, because he's not just a stills photographer, but I, I believe the cinematography comes into play hands down. Uh, this, this is your guy. So photographing Palouse, so many people do it. It is an iconic area. I'm guessing when you're on this bluff, this butte, that there's a you know, 400 million people on, on there with you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it can be crowded and, you know, you just kind of set up in the tripod spots where, you know, they're marked in, in past days. So that brings to me, you are the perfect person to ask this question to. So everybody complains, Oh, I went to Paris and I wanted to shoot the Eiffel tower, but it's been shot so many times from every different angle and it's all been done which I don't believe, right? There's, there's always a way to do the dead poet society move of, you know, stand on a, on a desk and see the world from a different angle. Right. 
but you know, Washington, D.C., the monument, all over the world, we have these things. And there are workshops in Palouse with phenomenal photographers. Absolutely. My buddy Rick Salmon, I think, mm-hmm. does a workshop mm-hmm. there. Scott Bourne does a workshop there. Some of the best people out there do workshops here. So yep. as both a workshop instructor, a photographer and cinematographer, I have never seen a shot. I've seen this kind of scene mm-hmm. with the greenhouse and everything. I've never seen a shot like this from Palouse. How do you go shoot generically, right? How do you go shoot for getting this image? A spot that's been photographed hundreds of times, thousands of times, and get something that is your own vision? Uh, that's, that's a good question, and I don't know that I have a really straight answer for that, but it's, uh, I, I think... You draw upon, and that's we do this in cinematography, and I teach cinematography as well. But and my students, I tell my students is draw. Being a cinematographer or being a photographer is drawing on your life experience, drawing on your emotions, drawing on uh, what visual inputs that you have had. Uh, I just was in Los Angeles earlier last week, uh, and uh, oh, we should have connected. Week, <laughs> yeah, we should. Have. But I went to the Norton Simon Museum and and looked at some of the most beautiful paintings, original masterpieces from the great works. Uh, that sort of thing uh, informs your vision, influences your vision, and you can you can always find, I think, a new and fresh approach to almost any subject if you allow yourself to think outside the box. And I hate I hate that term tremendously, but you've got to you've got to see it from a different perspective and uh any any influence that you can get from the outside to get your creative juices going uh is is well worth time you know the time spent to do it so okay so let's drill down on that for a second okay. so you're you're on you're, you're in this spot you're set up on your tripod um you're looking at this scene now this scene <clears throat> the shapes the beautiful soft shapes right those rolling hills mm-hmm. the amazing color transitions here first of all i have to ask is it that way to your eye or is is that post it's it's mostly that way to your eye i i try not to be too heavy-handed in post with my colors okay uh it uh it had just rained uh a day or two before the the ground there is, has this sort of reddish hue to it and being moist it it just made the ground a little bit more uh saturated so there's places where the the, uh, the crops have not filled in completely, so you'll see hints of red around uh, from the, the soils hills, from the soil. Uh, and of course, you wait for the light to do what you want it to do. Uh, and I I always I usually always shoot with a polarizer, uh, Tiffin polarizer, and I'll I'll play with it uh, till I get sort of I'll knock some of the edge off of the off the reflections off, uh, and just till I get what I want from it. And I think that all plays into it. Helps with the blues and the distance and well, see, and and again, Rick Salmon uh, is a friend of mine, and and yep. you know he will always say people use their circular polarizers often incorrectly because yep. they turn it to the strongest yep. effect, which is not what you want. You're right. That's, you, that's not what you want to do. You, it's it's an artistic tool. It's a, it's a another brush in the palette, right? And and just because it's doing the most work doesn't mean it's necessarily doing what you want it to do. Exactly. So you're looking at this scene from this bluff, this butte. Mm-hmm. What is what it in James' mind's eye? 
what is it you're looking for in composition between the textures and the colors? And there's a lot of objects in this shot, right? I mean, yeah, the greenhouse stands out because of its height and, and its mm -hmm. its color palette of the building completely stands out from the other objects, which are mostly greenish, etc. What is your mind eye looking at when you compose this? For example, <clears throat> there's very little sky. Sky's hazy. Mm -hmm. Now, I love that the haze naturally falls back, right? You have this, this fading back. And you made the comment earlier that part of this was atmospheric. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so as you're standing there, you're thinking atmosphere, you're thinking light. What are you thinking about element and composition-wise? Uh, well, I'm, I'm always looking for the balanced composition, you know, something that, that leads the eye. You want to, you want to keep the, the photographer or the viewer's eye within the image, obviously. Uh, the sky wasn't that interesting. So I kind of, I cropped it out. There's a little bit at the top there. I think you can see, uh, but going back to the, the haze, that's something that I, again, I played with the polarizer to, you know, cut through some of it, but not completely remove it because that's from paintings from, from from masters of landscape, you know, you, you look at their stuff and it always fades to, to the haze in the background. I wanted a hint of that in there. Uh, I use, I use a Hoodman loop on the, on the, on the live view on the back of the camera, just like with the old four by five swings and tilt cameras I used to shoot with back in the day. Uh, especially with that, that, that five DSR being a 50 megapixel camera, you want to get things sharp. You want to make sure you're, composing and it's it just gives you a nice view of the of the screen uh so i you know i'm playing around and tweaking things and then just waiting for light waiting for for waiting for the moment uh you've said waiting for light twice so far and i'm curious you go up to this area how long are how long are you waiting uh well i mean you go up and you set up you frame you you, you find the image you want and then uh sometimes knowing the light's not right yet Knowing the light's not right, uh, and just you know, you wait and you watch, uh, and uh, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to use, you know, Ansel Adams particularly, but he was famous for that. Uh, I'm nowhere near the category he was, but uh, he was famous for you know taking two plates with him and uh, waiting for the light. Sometimes he'd come back days after day after day, uh, trying to get what he had visualized uh, in in the, in the frame. So, uh, so you mentioned there's, and, and I mentioned the, I love the way that the haze goes back and you have just a little bit of sky. There are mm -hmm. photographers that would have cropped this in such a way. Um, and by the way, you mentioned Ansel used to take two mm -hmm. plates out. I just yeah. interviewed, uh, uh, Ben Horn, San oh. Diego based photographer that shoots large format film landscapes. He hikes back right. with, with film in his backpack. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are a lot of photographers that would have looked at the haziness of the, the sky and there's no detail in the sky and they would have cropped that down. And, and I, I may have been one of them because I'm not a landscape shooter mm. until I see this and go, oh, well, that would have been stupid because yeah, that haze is what that's what draws me on a Z axis through the picture. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's one of the issues when you're shooting because that's with a long lens. I mean. And what does long lens do is it, it compresses distance. Uh, so that's another, just another way, another technique of showing the viewer that there's, there is distance here because we're, we're used to that uh, 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 turning blue, 
you know, blue cast as it goes back further in the distance. And, and a little bit, if, if you really look at the image, you can see some of the mountains in, in uh, uh, western Washington on the horizon. So, it's, so uh, I said I had questions on the F-11. Yeah. Again, not a landscape photographer. I admit it before I get a ton of emails and comments on the video going, Steve, why do you ask these stupid questions? Okay. <laughs> Which is, it happens. Okay, it happens. I readily admit I have no clue what I'm talking about. On anything, pretty much. Ask my family. So, <clears throat> F11. You're shooting, and, and this is the fitting point for this question because you mentioned lens compression, right? Most people would look at this and go, well, I'm not going to shoot it with 16 millimeter. I'm three miles away. It's going to be so wide and so big. There's not going to be any detail. I'm going to shoot with a longer lens to try and frame it with the, where the grain house is where I want it. Blah. They're not thinking compression. They're thinking framing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But at F11... At that kind of a zoom, that's not a huge depth of field. That's not a lot of depth of field. No, it's not. There are people that would have shot this. There are people that would have shot it at F8, right? The sweet spot, okay. as it were. There are people that would have shot it at, at sweet 16. There are people that would have, you know, shot it at 22. Why 11? What, what made you choose? You're on a tripod. You didn't need 320. Uh, ISO 400, reasonable, keep the noise down, but there's no noise in that camera, right? Why F11? Uh, it was a compromise, actually. Uh, I probably would have gone a little uh, uh, deeper into the stop, maybe a 22, uh, but there was some wind blowing, and I wanted to reduce uh, you know, camera vibration as much as possible. So you may have needed the 320 tripod or not. Okay. That, yeah. Uh, Bad assumption on my part. All right, and I don't and I don't like using them in stabilization, image stabilization on it uh, for tripod work. And uh, so I I was just waiting. I I have it, you know, magnified on live view, and uh, uh, which I like to do because the mirror is locked up. That reduces a little bit of vibration. And I was just waiting for the image to settle down. And uh, you know, you've got to pull out all the tricks uh, in the book. Uh, and so 11 seemed like the place to be. Uh, it works. Yeah, it, I think there's more depth of field than, out of it than, than you imagine you will get. Uh, I wonder but, if that's the, the, the body. Maybe it's that detail. It could be. And the it lack of the low-pass yeah. filter. Yeah, yeah. So um, High-pass filter. Low-pass, low the low-pass filter. Low-pass filter, yeah. okay. Yeah. So uh, as a... I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but it, this, this type of thing in photography really intrigues me, right? It, when a wedding photographer friend of mine goes with me to a concert and shoots a concert, that's fascinating for me to watch, right? Right, right. But, but so many photographers now are starting to want to make that transition into motion. Right. You already do both. So I'm curious how much in your head they overlap. When you're shooting stills, do you do you believe that you see it with a cinematic mind? I don't really think I can help but do it because you know most of my career I've been strictly shooting. Uh, uh, not that I haven't shot stills the whole career, but uh, strictly shooting cinematography, filmmaking. Uh, so you're always thinking in you know shot sequences. You're thinking for the edit. Uh, you know wide shot, medium shot, close up, uh, sort of thing, and then. Again, the cinematic uh, framing for it. Uh, I, I really kind of like widescreen, uh, uh, you know, two three nine aspect ratio right, films right. and uh, two thirty five you know, to one one eighty five. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, 
So you could pull that out of the out of that image if you wanted to. I could crop it out and and make just a nice panorama out of it. But I think the image was there. It stood by itself the way it did. So I well, see, I, one I'm, of the th- th- go, it go always influences uh, the 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 motion always influences what I'm doing. Uh, sometimes I have to pull back and say, okay, we're not moving. This is not moving. This is a still shot. And what, what can I do to make it work as a still shot rather than uh, motion? Because to me, one of the things that leaped out at me is cinematic in this is I know a million photographers who would have shot possibly close to this framing with the grain house on, on a third, mm-hmm. on a rule of third. But they would have put it on the top left rule of third. Because they would have felt that is what was telling you the distance. And by putting it on the front rule of third and then having the rolling hills, you've got a you've got the main subject is the foreground subject. And then the the depth and and expanse is emphasized by the disappearing horizon line. There are also people that I would have known that would have kept some of the sky. But in Lightroom would have done a gradient filter to try and darken it or or God forbid, oversaturate you know, the, the skyline and it looks, it just looks, it feels like film. It feel, I don't mean still film, right? I mean, it feels like a motion picture where most photographers tend to, I want more clarity. I want more saturation. I want this pop, right? Cause it's a frozen moment in time. Mm-hmm. Cinematographers tend to go a little more towards realistic, but, but there, right. It's, 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 I think it's a different aesthetic that we have, uh, that we've developed over time, knowing that that you can, we want people to look at the image longer as long as possible. Uh, even though you know we're moving on from one image to the next, you still want to have that one image tell the story. Uh, and you know it's, and this is I don't know what the story is in this. You know it's a it's a grain elevator in the middle of a field, but it it's an emotion I think more than anything else. It's it's the feeling of of this landscape and what it what it means to be there and see all this beauty no but i can picture the digital shot from this almost like it's on a rail slightly panning as it Mm -hmm. then starts to curve and zoom in and go into the one of the windows in the grain elevator elevator. as you see an employee in there i mean i i I can see the motion in this shot and again it could just be me because i know your history but but and, and and the employee's backlit and he's dumping grain into the into the thing. And you see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's the story I see in this. I yeah. see this as an establishment scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, for something that's gonna come, and I'm curious what's gonna come, and I see that in a still. That's that's mm-hmm. that, my friend, is the beauty of it. So yeah. you try not to do too much, but what do you use for post? Uh, most all my post is well, I do a, a hybrid workflow especially on that image i used uh the canon dpp uh digital professional uh software to uh come out of the raw format into a 16-bit tiff uh and then import that 16-bit tiff into uh photoshop so that i've got 16-bit color in photoshop so not a lightroom user at all uh i i play with lightroom a lot i've not really gotten into it enough to to be proficient with it but i'm definitely photoshop for sure okay what would have been done to this shot um overall overall i i think i i brought it in i always shoot in neutral color space uh so the camera doesn't put anything in there that i don't want it to um and i bring it in i do a little color pop with the um uh 
the filters in DPP. Uh, I think they're, they've got a landscape and they've got a high detail one. I think I used high detail on that one. Uh, and then I export it into, into uh, Photoshop. Uh, I think I actually did a, uh, a soft blend with it, uh, duplicate the image and then do a soft blend. Picks up the contrast a little bit that way. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of saturation, but there wasn't a whole lot of anything going on that I recall. Um, I, I tried to get it in camera. I tried to do all this in camera. I don't like, you know, having to do a whole lot in post. So somebody goes out on a workshop with you, somebody not good at landscape <laughs> like me. You're going to give one tip to m help people get better at, at shots like this landscape stuff. What, what would you tell them? See it with your eyes first. See it with your, see it with your heart first, I think is the probably the best thing to say, way to say it. Okay. Um, uh, uh, experience it be in the moment exper experience the moment don't just throw a camera and a tripod up there and start banging away uh you know look at what you're you're intended to do think about the shot before uh you know engage uh, engage the brain before you click the shutter okay and, makes sense now yeah. here's the harder one somebody that is doing this is happening a lot with wedding photographers they're a stills photographer and they're realizing i really need to move into motion so for a stills photographer that wants to start experimenting with whether they're just going to use their same DSLR, whatever it is, what is your one tip to help somebody who shoots stills get better at that move to video? Uh, there's, there's several things to think of, in, and one of them is, uh, even though it's movies, don't move the camera too much. Uh, that's the worst thing you can do is you'll, you see somebody out here bouncing the camera around, uh, have a decent tripod, get on a tripod and think in terms of establishing a scene, doing a medium shot, doing a close up. Uh, always think in terms of at least three shots that away. Uh, you know, typically you're probably not going to be doing a dialogue scene. Uh, but you know, our basic dialogue scene is establisher two shot over the shoulder, over the shoulder, close up, close up you know, lunchtime. Okay. So, uh, so really, yeah. Go watch a movie and learn. That's, <laughs> that's the best thing to do. Go, you know, turn the film off, turn the, not turn the film off, turn the sound off, uh, and watch a movie and just look at the shots. Think about what the, what shots Ooh. they're doing. I like and the turn the sound off tip. Turn that's the sound the off right there. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> so before we get into how people can find you and find your workshops, et cetera, uh, you mentioned to me, you just sent this to me today, and I, I find this interesting. So ASC, what's ASC? ASC, that's the American Society of Cinematographers. Uh, okay. we're, we're an organization in Hollywood that's going to be 100 years old next year. We're 10 years older than the Academy of Motion Pictures. Uh, and uh, it's a very select group of uh, cinematographers. There's been less than 900 of us invited for membership in 100 years. So. And let's let's clarify it's Hollywood, California, because there Hollywood, is a Hollywood, Calif Florida yeah. and Hollywood, Florida California. Based. Yeah. So ASC has a photo gallery going mm -hmm. on at their clubhouse in Hollywood, yep. California. And, and it is still photos, mm -hmm. even though it's a cinematography group, right. it's still photos from some of the top directors of photography that there are in the business. Yep. And these photos are going to be on display in this clubhouse until fall. Mm -hmm. The gallery is open by appointment to the public. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And I just want to put the address out there. It's 1782 North Orange Drive in Hollywood. Yep. Which, if I'm not mistaken, Orange is where I t- I'm a Magic Castle member. And I think it's where it's, I turned to go to right, Magic Castle. It's right across the street from Magic Castle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I know, I know the area then. It's, you're right there behind Man's Chinese Theater. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so if people want to find you more, what's your website? Uh, JamesNighthouse.com uh, is for uh, my uh, workshops. Uh, JamesNighthouseASC.com is my cinematography website. Uh, okay. But uh, the, the, the workshops are through JamesNighthouse.com. Simple as that. And, and and let's clarify the spelling of Nighthouse. It's N E I H O U S E. Yep. So James Nighthouse, N E I H O U S E. And you're on Facebook. I'm on uh, Facebook. 70. This this is interesting, by the way. 70 millimeter, meaning 70 mm. Yep. DOP, Director of yep. Photography. Yep. Uh, Instagram, it's 70 millimeter, 70 mm. DP. DP. Yep. Director of Photography. Twitter. You're also 70 mm DP. DP yeah. And then you're also on Vimeo, the 70 mm DP. DP yeah. But trust me, there's a. Okay. If, if you Google weekend, me, you'll find me. <laughs> yeah. It, it, there's not going to be a ton of this name. So, but if you go look at the blog post on thisweekinphoto.com for this episode, the gallery of images is not just the Palouse, right? He shoots a lot of really cool stuff, and you'll know the one I mean when you see the launch pad shot, right? The colors in that shot, dude. So go to thisweekinphoto.com, check out Behind the Shot, look for the James Nyehouse episode, and seriously, look at the gallery down there. I've got all these links there. You can find James, give him some love online, follow him everywhere that you can. And James, thank you so much for being on Behind the Shot. I really appreciate it. Well, Steve, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed talking with you and uh, uh, look forward to doing it again. And next time I'm in L.A., we'll have to have a adult beverage somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I will partake in that. I will definitely <laughs> come, partake in that. Come to the that. clubhouse and we'll have a drink. <laughs> that would Oh, that'd be awesome. If you do come out, I'd love to go see this. You bet. Stills photo show as well. So again, James Nyhouse, thank you for being on Behind the Shot. As always, this is the podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers like James to get a better idea of how their mind works, how they assemble their photos, how they post process their photos. We have a huge backlog right there of back episodes or back catalog of episodes at thisweekinphoto.com. You can find us in iTunes. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. So rather than just watch it, here on the website or in YouTube, which you can do both. Subscribe to the podcast, drop us a review in iTunes. It's always appreciated. And you can always reach out to me if you want to. My links are on the website too, but it's Steve Brazel at Steve Brazel on Twitter or Instagram. It's like Brazil, but two L's. Facebook, it's Steve Brazel Photography. Reach out. I try and answer everybody that comments on the videos. And again, thank you very much for watching. I'm your host. This is the Behind the Shot podcast, and we will see you on the next episode. Hey there, I'm Frederick Van Johnson. Thanks for checking out the TWIP Network on YouTube. If you'd like to keep up to date with the shows we're putting out, be sure to click subscribe. And while you're at it, give us a thumbs up. You can also subscribe on thisweekinphoto.com where you'll find lots of other great photography shows. Thanks for watching the TWIP Network on YouTube.